0: Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I will let my guest introduce himself. I'm
1: Celsu, better known as Cortex on YouTube. And uh, I guess before we start, I, I, wanted, I wanted to say something. Last time I, I was on, I read through the, the comments on YouTube. I know you published this on different things, but I, I, I listened to it on YouTube. And I mm-hmm. thought that a lot of people complained about my voice, about how slowly I talk. And <laughs> I wanted to apologize because um, my brain, my two, my dual core brain has to translate from Portuguese to English as I'm thinking about the things that we're talking about. So and and I'm not very good at this sort of live format, which is one of the reasons that I want to do it more. Cause I'm only going to be good if I do it more often. So. I want to thank Tom for for having me again despite those those that that reaction from the audience.
0: You I also believe we were recording at midnight, weren't we? For yeah, you? Yeah. So, I mean, it was late and I'll apologize today too. I'm a bit under the weather although I probably don't look it to you right now. But uh so if I have to disappear for a second. It's because I'm running to the bathroom again. But <laughs> oh. so yeah, I know. It's fun and all. But um, when it comes to the voice thing, I always find those complaints a little goofy because like, I don't know, I'm sure you've watched an adored video, and if you go back to his older videos, he sounds significantly more Scottish than he does now. <laughs> and it's it was like a slow-moving accent change for him too, but there were always people complaining about it, and at least for me, I was always like, and, and same for your voice, it's like, eh, I don't know. I think they're decent voices i've never had a complaint about there's just always going to be people complaining about how you talk i, I find it quite funny mm. like uh how i used to say nvidia instead of <laughs> nvidia
1: there's a there's a youtube um who says who always says xenon instead of Xeon. i can't remember who it oh was.
0: that really triggers yeah me. I've seen people make that mistake, too, because there was the Xenon SoC for the Xbox 360. And so I remember, yeah, I don't, all I can say to people that complain about how we pronounce things is you have to understand that you're just, most people just read articles and there are hundreds of nonsense words, hundreds, Mm. that you'll never say out loud. Then you say it out loud and you realize, oh, is that actually how it's supposed to be pronounced? So bear with us a bit. (laughs) But anyway, so yeah, you did point out before we started recording that on my whiteboard I have Intel DG2. I'm going to look into some stuff regarding that. I was sent some information um, from someone who has Intel contacts, and I just only had time to first go through the Alder Lake information. I don't know if you saw that video. I just had come out.
1: Alder Lake? No.
0: Yeah, so... So I guess we'll start with that then. So that was a video I was working on for a whole week. And there is some evidence, I believe, that Intel could be working on some kind of 10 nanometer desktop chip for next year. And then it was interesting. I w- I thought it was mostly speculation to say that. I mean, I know Alder Lake exists. It's been on their roadmaps technically for a while with almost no information. But then right when I received some information from one of my contacts, there are other leaks popped up about an LGA 1700 labeled Alder Lake. And then APASAC also had something at the same time. And so I said, well, all right, that looks like there's some evidence Intel may be rushing some kind of 10 nanometer uh, desktop chip, not something to fill out their entire lineup. At least you would, su- I would certainly be surprised if they got yields that good next year. <laughs> But um it it looks like there's a decent amount of evidence they may try to do some token launches for high end products. So
1: so this is not um Tiger Lake and it's not Willow Cove. It's something else.
0: It it's it, I what I was told by a contact is that it's the thing that comes after Tiger Lake, but that there's they plan to make mainstream variants that aren't just token laptop chips. Mm plans we'll see right they've had a lot of plans
1: yeah i mean my expectation would be that for the desktop they would bring out tiger lake which is what i said in a video that i published uh like two hours Mm -hmm. before where we're actually talking but that's just speculation on my part i don't think we'll see ice lake i mean
0: (laughs) no we're not no ice lakes There's going to be a nice, like, server, supposedly, but I don't think that's coming. That's not. It's not. I'm told it's not. It's not coming to desktop. Um, But Alder Lake, the way I see it is, I believe it's either Willow Cove or Golden Cove cores. And it's kind of think of it, you know, as, like, the next step after Tiger Lake and then they also have it on both platforms, I guess, right? It it wasn't 100% on which core it uses although Golden Cove was suggested.
1: Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. I would expect by Q4 this year for them to have a 10 nanometer desktop chip in some form.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and he said the tap out for Alder Lake was this fall. So I'm sure we'll get some kind of rumors if it actually does exist and I also point out in that video, I was looking through Cooper Lake and Ice Lake. I mean, I guess Ice Lake Server, which my contacts insist is coming (laughs) this year, um, how that pans out, that will tell us if we can trust any of this Alder Lake stuff or not, I'd say. Like, if they can make 38 cores in any amount of numbers, then I don't think it's crazy to assume they'll get some kind of higher core count, higher than, you know, six core 10 nanometer chips on desktop next year. I mean, even just to please investors.
1: Yeah, could just be another paper launch. But I don't think so. I think they're they're picking up on 10 nanometer.
0: Me too. That's been uh, something I keep saying is that at least... And and I think what people just jump down your throat sometimes when you say Intel 10 nanometer will be a real node next year. But it's like it's 2020. We're not joking about it anymore. They do, in my opinion... If they, if they, I know we all joke about 10 nanometer, but if they literally never got decent 10 nanometer out, like that's worse than I think I've let on. Like it, they can't just have seven nanometer. That's a big point of the video too. In 2022, by then AMD could start some three nanometer product. I mean, this is ridiculous. They need something in the meantime before seven, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at their 300 watt, 14 nanometer chips right now. It's completely spent. They can keep making 14 nanometer for half their lineup, but I mean, there's nowhere to go anymore in terms of performance, I think. Yeah. But anyways, though, that contact also sent me Intel DG2 information, which I just literally haven't looked at that half of the information yet.
1: That's interesting. I want to hear about that. I mean, I do know someone who works at Intel, but they're very careful with sharing anything, and they actually had you know that uh, board that's now been shown, the one with the single fan? Yeah. Uh, they actually had that in December, and they told me about it, and I was like, can you just send me a picture <laughs> of the back? <laughs> one
0: picture. Yeah, one yeah.
1: picture of the back. I just want to see the die or something. And, but they're very careful not to show anything, so I, I rarely get any information on Intel stuff, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's pretty rare to get direct contacts at Intel, I would say, too. They are pretty careful, and uh, especially NVIDIA as well. I mean, I guess what I am also saying is AMD could do a better job of stopping people leaking all the time.
1: They're trying. (laughs) The briefings that we have have fewer and fewer people (laughs) at each briefing.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, well, let's, let's go there first. So I have a list of things to discuss. Let's just keep running with Intel. I mean, Dragonetti writes in just like patrons can and asks, what can we expect from Intel Z GPU performance? So I, th- I think, let me just ask you that, Celso. What do you, what do you think, just in general, we can expect?
1: Well, firstly, I, reckon, I recognize Dragonetti. He's a very mm-hmm. a- active is, yeah. uh, patron on my Discord which is the best technology discord there is by the way.
0: <laughs> mm, okay, um, well we'll we'll see. <laughs> you guys do have the best pumpkin carvers.
1: Oh, oh, you saw that, yeah. Yeah. It's good. So what can we expect from XC? Um I'm guessing he means the the mainstream uh, GPU I would GPUs. guess
0: discrete, right?
1: So I think Intel's strategy for XC is basically it's going to be in two stages. The first stage is to to use that word I used I invented for the video today which is mm-hmm. disc, discretize <laughs> the, the mobile um, technology into mm-hmm. you know, a board that can go into desktops. That's probably mostly for OEMs and for developers to, to get used to optimizing for that, and also yeah. to test the scaling. So push the, the power up to 75 watts. We don't know anything about XEHB, which is a bit a bit weird. Mm-hmm. And um Raja Kaduri said they would be showing something soon. I thought it was gonna be C S and I was really excited about that. I knew there was going to be DG1 at C E S because that contact from Intel had told me that, but I had mm-hmm. no idea what exactly it would be. I think the performance wise you're going to see decent entry level performance, which is great, actually. Mm-hmm. And and it makes a lot of sense for Intel's um customer base there's sort of people who would want a gpu like that they did they don't care about you know max settings 4k -hmm. i think for hp we will probably see a a decent mid-range uh gpu i have no idea i mean we can speculate on the on the higher tiers i doubt that for the first generation intel will have anything good at the at the higher tiers because so raja joined them in 2017 you're going to need at least you know four to five years until he can get anything good off the ground Mm. so they're going to sort of set the stage for whatever ideas that team has i remember uh, there was some some other guy on twitter who who's also on the graphics team and he said something like i can't wait to see the work that i'm doing materializing but i've resigned myself to accepting that this 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 takes years until i'm actually going to see something so it's probably going to take another two or two or three years to see this come to fruition and this was last year that he posted this It's going to be a while until they realize their GPU vision for the mainstream. For now, the priority is just going to be OEMs and um, lower performance parts. That's what I would expect to see.
0: Yeah. Chris Fairbanks also writes in and he says, hopefully I'm not too late to post this question, but Cortex seems much more optimistic than other tech tubers. And I, I would say in that video that you just had come out, you were... You did come off kind of as more optimistic. I see so many people dismissing. I mean, there's no way around it, what they showed at CES. I guess what I would say, the performance they showed at CES could not be called impressive, but they at least proved they have it. And I think it's too early to really say almost anything. I mean, I did some videos mid-last year about what I think might happen with Z or XZ. I call it Z. And it was mostly wild speculation, though. And just based on... I think I pretty much completely agree with their early targets. Like, you can expect them to target efficient, entry-level GPUs. And they can't... Hopefully, they won't be able to overcharge too much. I mean, it doesn't sound too interesting, but now that we have... $200 $200 RX5500XT is perhaps we could use some more competition down there. And I thought maybe we would get some good efficient mid-range cards, but I just I just completely doubt they'll scale it up high. Although I I mean there's some leaks that suggest from people working on it that it might not be as efficient as they hoped right away, but I don't know. I think it's going to be a slow roll and I just think you can't dismiss or Assume there's so it seems like so many people as usual think in a binary way where they're like, well, Intel's GPUs will be garbage. And then you have other people who are just so sure Intel's GPUs are gonna be the best. And I'm just I don't think we'll we'll know really for over a year if they'll ever get anywhere good.
1: Yeah, they're both right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, at least right now I'm not that impressed with Ice Lick. I was hoping to be a tad better.
1: The reason I'm optimistic is well, I wasn't even expecting them to show gameplay. When I when I saw them and I don't know if you were following the presentation. Intel is in such a such a disastrous state that such an important thing as XE the the DG1, they forgot that they were demoing it. Did you see that? The this lady Oh, was, in the background. This lady was like um uh was like presenting the graphic stuff. And then the, I, I forget what his name is. He was like, OK, thanks for 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 coming. And she's like, oh, wait, there's one more thing.
0: Oh, I did see that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's one more thing. It's just showing the bloody graphics working. Sounds kind mm-hmm. of like an important thing to not forget. But anyway, I wasn't even expecting that. So when they showed gameplay, I was like, oh, oh me wow. neither. They actually have this working and they're willing to show this you know gameplay of it during the stream it looked terrible but then i i saw um a proper you know non-stream version and and it didn't look too bad i mean what are you expecting i don't know what people are expecting out of this to me that looks like apu level performance Mm -hmm. which which is fine this is xc lp it's a low power uh Products meant to go into those cheap uh, desktops that you're going to find at Best Buy that people don't have no idea what's inside them. I don't think that's that's bad. It depends on what people's expectations are. Were they expecting a twenty eighty Ti killer?
0: (laughs) Um, Um, I think I'll tell you what I was expecting. If they were going to show, yeah, so I thought they would just show more concept pictures and a bunch of nothing. Like They'd show some type of roadmap and some kind of design info, but we wouldn't see any gameplay. The fact that they actually show gameplay, I guess, yeah, I didn't expect that. But I expected it to at least be... If I was going to show it first, I don't know. The, the, the only thing I think about is how it might have a struggle early on because it's not competing, despite what Intel likes to show, against last-generation products. I mean, I have an MX250 that uses 10 watts that seem to hit the same settings they're showing now in some 10 nanometer graphics card. And, you know, I think matching an MX250, which is kind of looks like what they're doing with their current graphics and what that also demonstrated, I I guess it just, I can understand why it doesn't command um, any level of being impressed when you're just like, well, it's an MX250 and... It uh, has horrible input lag, which, you know, Gamers Nexus did a pretty good analysis on that. But I think it could have shown almost anything, and I would have taken it as a, well, they're just showing it working, right? And yeah. I hope no one expected them to take on. I guess what I was initially said before I got off track was if I were going to show off gameplay first, I would at least hope to like show it, I don't know what I want to say, matching a 1650 or something, because that's a popular card, even though it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, I I didn't have such high expectations, but you have to understand that this is a new architecture. So there's there's yeah. drivers that need to be that need to be uh, coded, and uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on there that, that's still very early in the um, in the process. And uh, regarding the input latency, I, I'm not sure about that because they were playing. I saw them playing that through uh, a controller connected to a laptop, which was outputting to a TV. So.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. I thought gamers Nexus looked at it on a couple of things, but I could be wrong. At least they seem to think it looked worse than what they could replicate with other stuff. But again, either way, I don't really read into it too much, right? Mm. They're just showing it working. I, I don't, I don't think that people can watch that gameplay and go, "Well, that's it, then they're not going to be, you know." I mean, like it's so early.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was risky on their part, but I'm glad they showed something. I think um I think that was positive. And the second reason why I'm a bit optimistic is because of some of the patents that have come out in the last 6 months or so from Intel. Mm-hmm. They're really focused on multi-GPU and to me, that's really yeah. exciting. That and memory bandwidth are going to be the two things that are going to push um, GPU performance forward, I think.
0: Well, you know, Roger Kadori always, When I remember during the Polaris days, Raja was constantly talking about how important multi-GPU could be for the future of graphics. So it really wouldn't surprise me at all for them to take that type of an approach.
1: Yeah. And you look at that talk about interconnects. you know, Mm -hmm. interconnects are going to play a big part in this and you look at the um, what's the the aurora supercomputer the renders that they have for that are clearly you know focusing on multi gpu and a lot of connectivity there and memory on the gpu in addition to memory uh off die so there's a lot going on there that will trickle down to the consumer i'm sure of that
0: so speaking of GPUs and drivers, though, Deus Knight writes in and he says, AMD GPUs with driver issues. And, I, and I'm putting this reader mail in here specifically because you were asking me and Chris and Hardware and Box and all these other people if they've been having driver issues. And I'll just comment right away. Yeah, I, I, I had driver issues. And I said that Dan, my brother, who also co-hosts Broken Silicon, he had issues with the newest December drivers. I've heard the ones that just came out work way better Yeah. People in my discord were having issues too. And you, you also said that.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things here. I got a, I got a bit frustrated because I get you know, when you, people don't realize this, well, you do, because your channel is fairly large, but when you have a channel with close to a hundred thousand subscribers, you get emails and messages constantly on a daily Mm -hmm. basis about a bunch of things. And people ask me for recommendations on GPUs and I recommend, Hey, you should get the 5,700 or the 5,700 XT. And then people Mm -hmm. have a terrible experience with that. And I feel, I feel awful. I'm like recommending these products and they don't work. So I got really frustrated and I actually had a bit of a tirade on Twitter about AMD, which maybe I used strong language there that I shouldn't, I should keep things a bit more professional. Um, but it is very frustrating, and the thing is, the 5700 has been out for six months. There's, yeah, there's no reason this GPU shouldn't be working fine, and people are still having black screen issues, crashes, and all sorts of weird things happening, especially with um, hardware acceleration that's going on in the background. Mm-hmm. So, if you use hardware acceleration on Google Chrome, for instance, there's problems yeah. there, which is kind of funny. It's like AMD says, hey, guys, we have this feature. It's called hardware acceleration. To, to get it to work, please turn off hardware acceleration. <laughs> this is yeah. their philosophy. So after all this time, you know, it, it gets a bit frustrating. The second issue, and this I can't fully confirm because I only have one source that told me this. So don't take this as gospel. But this one source is not an AIB partner. It's not from the motherboard guys. It's not from the infrastructure guys. This is from someone very close to the design team. I was told that the Navi GPUs have a hardware bug that has to do with PCIe. And this was a problem related to PCIe 3 versus PCIe 4. Mm. And that the new Navi 10 was retaped. Uh, this was one of the reasons why it was retaped i mm-hmm. can't say that right. this is 100 percent true because it's only one source that told me this but it is one source from within amd and that pisses me off because it's not public and amd is not saying anything about this so th- that's if if this is the reason why some of these problems are happening then that's pretty serious if it's just a driver issue it's also mm. bad because it's been a long time since these prob- problems come out. But okay, maybe they can fix it. And ho- hopefully, they can fix it. But you know, but we're getting to the point where AMD are not the the underdog anymore. We can't excuse yeah. this, this level of you know terribleness in their GPUs. It's I don't know. Try uh, for, for the for the people listening try and put yourself in our position where we recommend these GPUs to thousands of people and then they Mm -hmm. don't work and have a terrible experience. You know, it completely discredits us and it makes me feel bad that I've recommended a bad product.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I've been catching... Yeah, so when I reviewed the 5700, I came to the conclusion that it felt smoother playing like the Division 2, even at lower frame rates and like an equivalent Vega card at the same frame rate. It, It was snappy. It was great, you know, but like quite literally with the app I used to encode and render videos, it just straight up didn't work like I had to turn off and that's very common I've heard there's many professional apps where you just straight up can't use Navi yeah. with them and
1: when it works when it works the GPUs are great I really like the 5700 5700 XT excellent GPUs but sometimes they don't work like what what like what you're saying in um, in premiere I can't mm-hmm. get the um, what's that? what's the thing called the color the lumetric color I can't get that to work on the 5700 XT, so I have to use uh, 1080 Ti to edit, which is which gets a bit unstable with 4K footage and stuff. So, mm-hmm.
0: uh, one thing I just want to say right out of the gate here, well, not out of, right out of the gate, but like up front, is I, I've been very um, outspoken that I think the idea of AMD drivers being worse than Nvidia is complete, complete and utter bullshit. At least I switched from Nvidia to AMD, I mean, this was like, you know, almost a decade ago now, because I could not get my Fermi cards stable. And I remember going into Nvidia forums and seeing people literally joke about having a disc. Some of them were serious of various driver releases that they would install per game they were playing. Like if I wanted to play Borderlands, (laughs) I had to install this driver and that driver. And then I switched to a 6950 and I had zero issues. And I was like, what is happening? And then this is something Adored's <laughs> covered a lot, like this thing came out that Vista literally have triple the crashes on NVIDIA systems than AMD. And yet you have all these people saying, I can't buy AMD because of drivers. And for me, that's been true. And I've had NVIDIA systems, you know, I, I do get NVIDIA cards from time to time, and they've never felt as stable as AMD. But I have to admit, in the past few months, AMD's been feeling unstable And it frustrates me because it makes me look like an asshole (laughs) because I've been saying this over and over again. And then all of a sudden they release these drivers that just are so buggy. And I don't know, like I'm still using October drivers right now. And I haven't had to, I don't update as often as I used to because I game a little less these days. But um, it, it is very frustrating that I even have to think about that again. And I just have to say to both AMD and NVIDIA, like, can you just make sure it works first? Like... Like rushing out these drivers for a 5% win in a graph. It's a very hard thing for channels to cover though. Like if you're Steve at Hardware and Box and you're not sure how much you should cover that it crashed while you were benchmarking, I don't know. But I think something needs to happen here where they're held accountable personally. I agree. Which I can see that's what you're doing too. So, yeah. so let me move on here. I did have this actually up front. How are you enjoying your OLED TV?
1: Well, I'm not because I'm busy working, (laughs) but um, I've had some, I watched a couple of uh, TV shows on it and I've been playing a couple of games on it and it's, it's just amazing. The only thing I would say is that um, it's very difficult to get it just right when it comes to the dark, dark um, portions of the images. Like you really have to fiddle with the settings until you get it just right. But other than that, it's it's just amazing. Everything yeah. works great.
0: I had to um get the black levels just the backlight level just perfect so it had perfect darkness in movies and games. I did have to do that myself too, but I, I wanna bring this up too, just because I really feel like this is something that I think at a certain point people should be screaming about. Like at the top of their lungs, like like what is going on with the monitor market? Like people complain about stagnation of um, graphics cards or something, but I'm like, I think the monitor market's in way dire straits. When I saw that OLED TV last year, it was one of those things where it's like most of it. Like I'm still using like a five year old 144 hertz 1080p monitor here. I still use a keyboard from ten years ago, but I, I mean I think it works great. You know I have my same speakers from college, but you know. All of these things, I spent a lot of money once and then used them for 10 years. And that OLED TV was the first nice TV I bought for myself because it checked all the boxes. You know, good response times, especially for a TV. Uh, perfect contrast, like literally perfect black levels per pixel dimming. Not these ridiculously hilarious. To me, at least it sounds funny. 384 dimming zones. Might as well be none if you ask me. And... uh then it has HDMI 2.1 in every port. Like they didn't do that dumb thing where they're like, "There's one good port." It's like, no, all of them can run t- 10K 120. And you're seeing these monitors being sold right now that are a fourth the size that are just wholly inferior. Um, and and it's and it's I think you can people don't realize it's starting to drive PC gamers mad. I mean, some of them have gone so crazy they're starting to think CRT is good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean the um, this TV is, is just amazing 'cause it's the picture quality as you know as you as you'd expect is awesome. Mm-hmm. But the whole experience is really good. Like I plugged in I plugged the TV to my main system via mm-hmm. um HDMI and everything just works. FreeSync mm-hmm. is working. Uh, the the experience is great. It automatically, after the firmware update, it automatic automatically changed to PC mode. So there's no mm-hmm. input lag. Like, yep. Everything works fine. It's just a really good experience. I don't like when you get a monitor, you have to go into a menu, you have to turn FreeSync mm-hmm. on, and then you have to go into game mode, and then you have to turn something off or, or other, and then just the whole experience is great. And this is a TV. How insane is that? And then the other thing I was actually at CES there was uh, LG showed off a smaller, okay. a smaller sized version Good. of this which is like I think 48 inches. Mm-hmm. I think people should just start buying those and forget about PC monitors. That's just going to be a much yeah. better experience. 48 is probably a little bit too large still to have on your desk but but that's a that's going to give you a better ex- gaming experience than um, any monitor out there. And something that people sometimes forget is that the, the most important component in your gaming PC is the monitor. It's not the graphics card. It's not the CPU. In any gaming system, the way you interact with the game, the way you consume the com- content is through the monitor. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's, that's, that should be you know where you spend the most money and that's where the technology advancement should be should be going. The R and D should be going into that. You know, are you really going to tell the difference between a fifty seven hundred XT and a twenty eighty Super, even a twenty eighty Ti? As, yeah, maybe a little bit. But when it comes to monitors, you go from uh, an eight hundred nine hundred dollar PC gaming monitor to a thirteen hundred OLED TV. And it's like night and day. It's a completely different experience.
0: That's something I can't emphasize enough is that it's not even close. Like it's so obviously superior. And like, and that's something I pointed out, I think in that article I wrote that's on your website where it's like, like literally, let's say you have a GTX 1080 or a Vega 56, you know, something a few years old around that level of performance. And your decision is, well, I spend $1,300 on this top-of-the-line OLED TV that'll last me a long time. Or am I going to get an 11-gigabyte graphics card that's, well, frankly, not even twice the performance of that. You know, and it's like when I game on that TV, even in 1440p 120 hertz, it just looks sharper than what I'm used to, um, even at a little bit higher resolutions. Like, And that's the thing I just don't know how to convey to people. Well, it's like, it's like OLED is not IPS TN. Like this is a new technology. The way it shows pixels is fundamentally different. And the fact that it just literally turns off pixels, for for instance, everything just looks sharper. You don't have ghosting issues. Um, it's just a new technology. It's just better. And I mean, after experiencing it, I can't imagine paying a lot of money for any monitor that isn't OLED or isn't, you know, some future technology that's equivalent.
1: Yeah. And the prices on the gaming monitors that have, you know, 4K and 120Hz yeah. are insane. Like $3,000, $4,000. The only thing I would say there is that they do work through DisplayPort with high refresh mm-hmm. rates. And right now we don't have GPUs. Actually, this was something that you told me before I bought the, the, the C9. Um, GPUs don't support 2.1, HDMI 2.1. But but that's probably going to change this year towards the end of the mm-hmm.
0: year. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I'm glad to see them make a 48-inch model, but I really think LG, and I've heard rumblings that they're, they're putting together a plan for a full lineup of OLED monitors, but I think they need to do it sooner rather than later because if they made, the smaller it gets, you know, if they got to, like, let's say, even 39 inches, 32 inches, and they could sell something as nice as the, the C9 for $1,000 or even 800 for like 32 inches, I think that would just be it. It would be like, I don't care what you're doing. That's the monitor I'm recommending and it's a TV. And I guess I would say, save your money and get like a $200 monitor. Or if you're going to go big, this is so vastly better that it make again, like I said, it's it's completely laughable to me. I guess I guess the last thing I want to ask about this is what do you think about and and i i think it may be blown out of proportion cuz there's it's an it's an interesting idea for a video so it gets clicks but like there's a few channels talking about you got to go out and buy these 10 year old $2000 CRT's
1: so i have a really good CRT here it's a sony trinitron e340 if i can rem- if i remember correctly it's on another desk over there and here's the thing about CRT's they have really good motion resolution so when you move the the cursor around in a first-person shooter it looks really nice because you don't have that ghosting that you have in lcds Mm -hmm. but and and they also have really good contrast ratio the contrast ratio is similar to a va panel like a good va panel the darks Mm -hmm. are really good and 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 they're not very muddy you know, in in IPS panels, the the darks get a bit bluish and they blend together in a bit of a weird way. So there are some benefits to to CRTs, but you can't use them for desktop use because it looks really really strange. It messes up your eyes. Mm-hmm. If you have if you have the Trinitron technology, which is the the better one, you get two or horizontal lines across the monitor, which you can kind of ignore, but they are there and it, it gets a little bit annoying. They are insanely heavy. Even the one that I have here is 19 inches. And man, moving this thing from desk to desk is like, I have to eat three steaks before I do, do <laughs> that. And then... um And the the monitor size is just too small. Like, like the reason why people like them is for first-person shooters because of Mm -hmm. that motion resolution. But then you constrain with your field of view because it's a a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. So you don't have that wide field of view. That really helps in first-person shooters. Is the picture quality better than LCD? I mean, yeah, it is. I guess it is. It's not as sharp. But I guess it, it, it's pretty good. It's nowhere near close OLED. I don't know where people got that idea from. It's not. It's not that good. The reason Digital why looks,
0: Foundry is where they got it from. Yeah, that
1: that they're insane. The reason why it looks so good is because the pixels blend in together. This is why mm-hmm. it's so bad to use a CRT in, in the desktop because text gets the it gets, the pixels get all muddled together, but in games that actually looks good because you don't get um aliasing you know because the pixels are so blended together that it looks really nice and smooth that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that's a good quality uh, image quality it's just a different way of doing it so there are some benefits to it, but you're gonna get a small sc- screen size. It's going to be heavy and take a lot of space on your desk. And yeah, you do get higher refresh rates. Like this one goes up to 120 hertz, but you have to reduce the, um, the resolution. Yeah. Oh, that's, an, that's another thing that's good about these monitors is that they're, they're resolution agnostic. So you can run them at any resolution and it, it looks it looks good. It's not like on LCDs where it, it mm. gets blurry and weird. OLED is, from the limited experience that I've had with this C9, it's actually, it's actually very similar to CRTs, but better in every single every single way. You get a larger size. You also get the really nice motion resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sharp. The upscaler in this picture, I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. Like you, I know. You can watch 1080p. 1080p content and it it looks almost as good as 4k really really good so i understand why people go got on this crt hype because you know it's always nice to bring back something from the past and it does the whole nostalgia and it brings clicks and all that but come on
0: yeah i mean i think (laughs) i think yeah if i could put it in a phrase, that is how I would put it. It's like, like uh, Tom, what do you think about the CRT hype? I'd say, I mean, come on. Like, what are we doing here? I I, I, I think people forget like, and I've even seen people make suggestions like where there's these long videos where they're like talking about, was it a mistake to abandon CRT? And it's like, like, I'm old enough. I grew up learning on CRTs in high school and even a little bit into college. And I gotta say, like, Most CRTs aren't that nice one you have. Most CRTs back then were absolutely terrible. I'm going to almost any LCD. And I remember the first LCD I bought for Killzone 2 in preparation to play Killzone 2. um, I got this $500, seven, like, I don't know, maybe it was 1080i technically. You know, uh, LG TV, if you were not looking directly at it, it would like look red from the sides like those old uh, LCD TVs were horrible. And at least compared to similarly priced CRT back then, I remember like, whoa, this looks incredible. So I know there were good CRTs back then but not all of them were good some of them like you said you could have you could barely read what was on screen with some of those and 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 when we come to where we are now maybe there's an argument that there could have been some some kind of a fork in the road where they kept making super high end ones for reasonable prices but they didn't and where it comes down to is if you have a nice CRT even back then cost what an OLED costs now and the OLED is so much better than everything out there again I can't I just can't there's just no argument really for getting one instead of something else i think yeah anyway so let's move on here I just, let's just like make sure we cover ces basis so i think one thing i gotta say is people talk about or i think sometimes people expect me or any channel to know basically everything that's going on and eventually <laughs> you get to a point where it's just like look i'm gonna focus on the things i want to talk about that week and i'm probably gonna miss a decent amount of things and Uh, Like When it comes to CES, I didn't actually watch that much of it. I ended up watching the AMD conference. I've, of course, seen some stories of interesting products that have popped up. So I guess before I ask you this next question, just keep that in mind. Don't assume I've watched a ton of it, but like, what were your favorite products you saw at CES uh, Cortex? It, It doesn't need to be any specific thing to PC hardware either, although that's certainly what people want us to talk about it's
1: funny you 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 should say that that intro before i get to to your question just now while i was waiting for your call one of my patrons sent me a screenshot from another discord saying that oh man this guy is such an idiot referring to me (laughs) and the video that i just posted he said that he thinks that that smaller chip on tiger lake is the graphics chip it's obviously the chipset and in the video, I said that that looked to me like the graphics chip. So it's a mistake on my part. What mm-hmm. these people don't what people don't don't understand is that we have to go through, or at least I have to go through, hundreds and hundreds of patents and textbooks and articles and interviews about so many different topics. There are so many things that we miss out that. It's impossible to keep up with everything. I mean, it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah I can completely understand that you, you didn't follow. Uh, well, yeah, let me add on, on
0: to what you just said there, because that's a perfect example. Because for my analysis of Alder Lake, Ice Lake server, I had to look at that other separate chip that's on Ice Lake right now. And I started looking around. I mean, anyone can look at a picture. Oh, look, there's a separate chip. And to be honest, I had first assumed it was the graphics too, by the way. But I looked around and I looked around and my contact at Intel said it was like the PCH. And I talked to Adored and he said that it was some kind of part of the IO. So I'm like, and then I talked to the guy at Intel again. I'm like, hey, is there like... Is there like literally anything online about what that chip is? Because if I wouldn't have had you, you as a contact, I'm not sure I would know because there's almost no articles talking about the fact that it was separated, by the way. Like, there's none. Like I, yeah. I, I'm sure there's one, but I, I'm telling you, like, if I hadn't talked to Jim and my contact at Intel before making that video, I, I would have made the same mistake.
1: Yeah, and something that I would I, I will get to your question in a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. But something I would recommend people do is try and make a successful YouTube channel because it's a it's a really humbling experience. You see yeah. a lot of these people on Reddit and Twitter and they're all experts, you know, and <laughs> they see someone make a mistake and they point to that mistake and they're like, How can this guy be on YouTube making these videos? He doesn't even know that that's not the graphics chiplet, that's obviously a chipset. <laughs> yeah. Try and, and, and create a successful YouTube channel. It's, it's really humbling to realize how little you, you actually know about mm-hmm. these things. And I'm going to make that mistake and a thousand more mistakes. <laughs> So any, anyway, going going back to your question, I also didn't follow CS too closely as I had a ton of stuff happening uh this week. As far as highlights go and the things that I thought were interesting, probably the the most impressive thing was probably that this is gonna be the most obvious choice, but I think it was the most impressive one was the Renoir APUs. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's that we really, really needed those to come to to the market because the because laptops have just been ridiculous. I mean, we were we were talking about how monitors have been stagnant. Laptops have been, you know, they've just been such terrible buys for the specs that they come with. You know mm-hmm. you're paying a thousand dollars twelve hundred dollars for really crappy components compared to what you would get for the same money on the desktop and what I think these Renoir chips are going to do is they're going to bring they're going to bring the 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 value so so the components that you're getting actually you're actually paying the right value for them you're not overpaying massively by two hundred three hundred four hundred dollars. In This video that I just published, I talked about the new Acer Swift 3, yeah. which is an 8-core um, laptop in a relatively small form factor, or thin lap, uh, form factor, I should say, with integrated graphics that are actually pretty good. Uh, a NAMDOT 2 drive and a good uh, panel, I think it's an IPS panel, and it's $600. Mm. This is what a laptop of this caliber should cost but we've been paying $1000 for <laughs> laptops like this it's crazy yeah. so renoir the renoir APUs are, were probably the 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 highlight uh
0: for me I really they were more that. impressive than i thought they would be well i mean i thought they'd be impressive you know but at least uh what they showed, you know, learning that it wasn't just Vega, it was up, you know, fifty percent. They said higher performance per compute unit than typical Vega, that mm-hmm. you know, those that eight cores are actually boosting pretty well and at fifteen watts. I yeah, I think Renoir, for me, I mean, we all knew Threadripper was coming, so whatever. But uh I think that really stole the show for me. And that's gonna completely shift what happens. Uh what we can expect in a laptop i will say this too i saw this is leaked too from uh an internal e- e- you know someone who knows someone who works at lenovo was saying that right now supposedly intel's freaking out about renoir uh because they didn't a- they didn't either expect it to be that big of a deal
1: yeah they should <laughs> um I guess another thing was the, um, so a uh, a few weeks ago, I did a video on modular PCs and where I was kind of speculating where modularity could go. And um, there are a few companies showing uh, boxes based on Ghost Canyon. Ghost Canyon? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, And there was this one from Razer, which which is ironic because they were the first to try and kind of change the paradigm Mm -hmm. on PC modularity. I think there's something there. I think the the only issue, I mean, the problem with this is going to be the price. These these things are going to be massively overpriced for what they yeah. are, because it's low volume. They have to pay for the R and D that went into it and all that. But I think there's something in in this concept, in this modularity concept. So I was actually surprised and happy to see that Ace. I think it was Asus, Gigabyte, and Razer. I think it was mm-hmm. those three that had boxes for Ghost Canyon, which I think is definitely very interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, and is this the one where the... Is it that the CPU and its like chipset are kind of in their own graphics card like slot that you can just slot in? Is that how that works?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you slot that into uh, a backplane that just has PCIe uh, slots. So you can have two, you can have three. Presumably, you can have... Uh,
0: no that um, makes it much easier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean Play I think thing. in the future I mean I think a lot of people are worried about the APUization of the of desktops and how this might destroy um enthusiast PC building, but I really think it's just going to change. I think eventually it's just going to be easier. I mean, you pick your CPU, you pick your SoC and it has a balanced graphics cards and CPU in it. Then, if you want to add on another one, you can. If you want to add on a, you know, a slot for this or that, maybe there'll just be one set pool of memory. Then you can choose different types of sticks. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I gotta admit too. I when I saw that, I was like, oh, it certainly looks cool, but I mean, that thing's gonna cost thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. There's no way they're charging a reasonable amount of money for what you get, but I mean. Yeah, if we if we went in that direction, uh, there would be no excuse for people just building their own PCs, I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. More options is always a good thing. I mean, the dream, um, we're going a bit off topic here, but the dream when it comes to modularity or customization would be and maybe this will happen someday. You'd go to Amazon and you'd, you'd say, hey, I want a, a chip with this accelerator and this mm-hmm. neural processor and a DSP that does this and that. Uh, yeah, ship that to me. And then a few days later, you have that. Yeah, yeah you that's slot, something. You slot it in into uh, an enclosure that's really small and, you just, and it's really easy to use, no cables, no nothing. You just slot it mm-hmm. in and that's it.
0: Yeah, That's something I talked about with, um, that's kind of what also Apple was looking at, right? With those Vega 2 Pro chips they had and their iMac Pros where they tried to remove the need for PCIe uh, con- separate connectors. You just slot it in. But yeah, the, the server engineer I've had on a couple of times, he was talking about that too. I, really, yeah, I think that the future like that AMD could get to where they, I think we've talked about this too, where they really just dominate as if they just have all these different chips you can customize and order. And I think, yeah, one of the, whenever we get to a point where any company can offer something like that, assuming they nail it, of course, right. Assuming there's not all these caveats, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, that would be like, yeah, ordering like a custom car, except it's an SOC. That's, Something we can we couldn't even fathom of coming soon, I think of just a few years ago,
1: yeah, I mean it already exists with um
0: mm-hmm.
1: what's that company called sci five, but that's a very you know, very early and very niche kind of thing the those guys that do custom risk five uh yeah. products, but I mean obviously a more mainstream version of that oh there's one other thing oh go for it that was was amazing at. CES, and that was the PS5 logo.
0: <laughs> I, was, I thought about bringing that up. But uh, yeah, that was something in the previous podcast, which me and Dan recorded right before CES. And we're like, hey, look, this is when we're recording it. So we'll just look at what's going to happen. And I was like, I, didn't, I, think, I thought there'd be mostly teasers. I really didn't expect Microsoft or Sony to show anything yet, especially Sony, because I think it literally benefits them zero to show any of their hand yet. Like, why? Why? They're they're in charge. <laughs> Whatever they're gonna make, they pretty much know what it's gonna be. Nothing's gonna change. They might as well just wait for you know Microsoft to announce their price and then figure out what their final strategy is going to be. But I thought that was hilarious with the PS5 logo, specifically because I saw so many websites. Try to make it a lead story. And I was like, you guys were expecting a PS5 reveal, and this is all you got, huh? Like, it really felt like there were a lot of websites trying to fill their front page with that as a story. Like, I think some of them even had like this pre written thing about the PS5, you know, that when you click on an article and the first three paragraphs are like, well, I would be remiss if I don't talk about this for no reason first. And then they just show the logo, and that was the whole article.
1: (laughs) No, No, that was pretty silly.
0: But yeah, I mean, I, I really did enjoy some of the memes of them just typing in five deleting four <laughs> and typing in five. Yeah. We brought them up, so let's just get through that now. So John DeLuca writes in and says, Is there a possibility of sound ray tracing on the PS5? If so, what would the benefits of sound ray tracing? I guess I don't know if you call it sound ray tracing, but like I think you know what he means, uh, be, and what would be the computational cost i would assume with the route sony is going for the next gen it it'd be much more likely they do that than microsoft Uh, so i guess i'm just kind of breaching into the next gen consoles here but like what do you what do you think about that like a custom sound traced chip
1: sound i think by sound ray tracing he means um so a dedicated hardware just to do the sound Mm-hmm. And um, this has been done before, actually. If you remember back, I think it was Thief, the reboot of the Thief game, oh. which came out in 2013, 2014, sometime like that. Um, that was in the period when AMD launched their 290X, and they were yep. and, and they were promoting Mantle. So there was a game that came out with Mantle, which I think was Battlefield 4. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, and then the there was Thieve that came out with something they had, which was I believe it was called True Audio. Yes, which basically had a DSP uh, from Tensilica. If you if you don't know what a DSP is, it's a digital signal processor. So it's basically a, a, a small bit of hardware that just does one thing. In this case, it was doing the sound. So instead of the of the CPU processing the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was done on this accelerator, which I believe is what this uh, person is asking. So what do you think happened? (laughs) (laughs) This sort of thing requires developer uh, integration. So it happened. The same thing that's happening with RTX happened with that DSP. No one used it. Yeah, I remember
0: that too. That slide looks so cool for the 290X when they were showing it off. And then I remember like going, so... Nothing? I haven't seen anyone talk about this <laughs> since they announced it.
1: Yeah, uh, apart from Thief, which actually was a really good game to have this on. I love mm-hmm. the Thief series, by the way, The all, going all the way, the way back to Thief 1. It's one of the best series ever made. I love those games. But I thought, yeah, this is a, the perfect game to have something like this. Like, imagine the sound bouncing off in a realistic way and and the and that that actually having an effect on Mm -hmm. the the npcs you know because thief is a stealth game um but i never see i never saw anything come out of that and um but particularly for a console for the ps5 i think it's it could work because it's a known quantity for developers. You know, developers know that all the they install the user base is going to have the same hardware, so the, the situation might be a bit different there. Yeah, the benefit is you're freeing up the the CPU to do and and which means you can do fairly complicated things with audio. So just just like with ray tracing, you are tracing a scene and um, and getting back information. The same thing would happen with audio. It would go through the scene, through the game world, and then it hits something and it, it returns a value. So we've hit something and then that can can have all sorts of implications in the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as quality goes, I, I don't know. I'm not really not the person. I'm not much of an audiophile to me. Everything yeah. sounds the same. I'm, I mean, if you've heard the sound in my videos, you probably know that I'm <laughs> not very good with audio. But um, I think from a computational standpoint, it could free up the CPU to do other things like, you know, any other accelerator.
0: Yeah, uh, and then getting more specific to like the PS5, for instance, the rumors I've seen from the beginning, including a couple people I talked to, of course, this was like a year ago that I talked to them, so who knows what's going on by now, but that the PS5 was basically envisioned from the start to have a fast, A ultra fast, ultra fast SSD. I mean, we're talking not just Gen four, but like I actually had someone send me information about a dual host SSD that they were working on, um, you know, so that they could use it for something like high bandwidth cache on the SSD, or so they could, you know, do. He said it could effectively double the bandwidth. Um, So something like that. A fast graphics card, not necessarily the fastest. And then I've I've heard lots of talk about there's going to be a ray tracing chip, a dedicated uh, 3D sound card, a dedicated this and this and this, and that they're looking at it in terms of like, if we can just have a good 8-core, a good graphics card for decent 4K60 gaming, and then just have something that does ray tracing on its own, something that does sound on its own, something that does, I'm sure there's something else, right, on its own. Like they have another ARM processor on there for background tasks that it could, I think it could give you quality of life benefits past just looking at teraflops. And I, I'm not exactly sure what Microsoft's doing, really. You know, I would assume they're considering similar things, though. I guess I'm just kind of asking you what you're thinking about with the strategy of both Sony and Microsoft for their next-gen consoles. Hardware-wise, you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, both, though, too, if you want to do hardware, then the overall strategy. It's not
1: something I've thought Uh, about a lot but um, there's a lot of things we can speculate I mean there's not a lot of information out there one thing I would speculate regarding what you were just saying is you'd probably need maybe like PCIe 5 to have Mm -hmm. that sort of connectivity between so many things and maybe that would help because what happens when um, when you run out of local memory you have to obviously go into system memory So a good Mm -hmm. example would be with uh, 5500 XT, people were saying, uh, you have to use this with PCIe Gen 4, uh, otherwise you get a performance penalty. The reason that happens is with a 4 gig model, you run out of memory, so you have to go into system memory. If you're using PCIe Gen 4, you have more bandwidth, so that connection happens quicker, so you get a performance uplift. Mm-hmm. So if if the PS5 is going to have all those separate components, then I would imagine it would benefit from a really fast um, connectivity between all of them. Not sure how they would do that. I mean, Nvidia, the, um, Nvidia, AMD does have Infinity Fabric to leverage right. all of that. So I kind
0: of wonder if they're going to do some entirely custom approach for connecting them as well. If they, well, not entirely internet. custom, but.
1: Maybe, like a custom version of infinity fabric, right or something like yeah, that. if that's the case, then that that's going to represent massive uh amounts of power needed n- needed because you're moving mm. data around you're consuming a ton of energy, and infinity fabric any can any interconnect to work at really high speeds has to use an absurd amount of energy, and the faster you have to go, the more mm-hmm. energy you're using, so maybe that will play into if they don't care if they just want to have you know, <laughs> a console that uses a ton of power then sure that's fine but that connectivity between different things that has a does have a cost in terms of energy mm. usage as far as the ssd i mean yeah again it makes a lot of sense because of what we just said so if the if the GPU doesn't have a ton of of memory, or if the memory is shared, then it makes sense to have a fast SSD to use as mm-hmm. caching, and even to use as sort of a a, a next level uh, L L like a, an L four cache or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a bit that's a bit undefined, but we don't really know much about it. As far as the Xbox One, uh, the ex, the new Xbox, mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw that the Phil Spencer's uh, Twitter photo that he posted. Yeah,
0: the, I did a video that referenced jet. that for part of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I, I, I still don't know if that's an, an engineering sample. I mean, mm-hmm. they had a tray with a bunch of them, so I'm guessing it's not just one engineering sample. Maybe this is the final product, which is a little bit surprising to me.
0: Yeah, but, unless they but, plan to launch sooner than expected, who knows?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I would expect the final product, the final silicon to be ready maybe around March around mm-hmm. that time. So it sounds like a bit early to have that, but maybe it is, maybe it is the final one. I don't know. And um, I speculated a, a, a couple of videos ago that maybe we would see some sort of 3D stacking happening there because of the things that I was hearing about it. But um, obviously I can, it's a bit early to have that sort of thing happening. But then again, a console is a five, six year uh, yeah. product. So I don't know if the cost benefits are there. So I don't know what the cost would be, so maybe 3D stacking is not viable. It would make perfect sense, in my opinion, for what they are trying to do, but maybe it's not viable from a a cost standpoint. The other thing that was interesting to see was the size of the chip. It seemed kind of massive for a console chip. I don't, but consoles are not really <laughs> something that I'm an expert in. So, but it did look fairly large, maybe like around a hundred and between 140 to 150 millimeters squared is what, what it looked like to me.
0: Oh, it was to- 400. People analyzed it. The total SOC was about 400 millimeters squared.
1: Oh, wow. That's
0: insane. Yeah. I mean, when I looked into that too, um, I think the general, And then also there is a leak from some Chinese forum of the back of the Xbox that shows a pretty small power connector. And I will say, even though that video of mine, that Xbox video did surprisingly incredibly well for whatever reason, I thought I did a good job. But I will say, I don't think we can be sure that the back of that panel that got leaked is necessarily the final thing. It showed like a 250, it showed the same power connector as like what was on a launch PS4, right? So you're So that's true. So you're telling me they have a 400 millimeter squared SOC with a 200 watt console. Like if that was true, that would seriously suggest, at least to me, that the uh, RDNA 2.0 is making some pretty big efficiency gains that people might not be expecting. But we'll we'll have to see. Anyways, though, I I think a lot. One thing I want to add to this is I think so many people were assuming they would use chiplets for the consoles. I mean, I thought it would make it be common sense, but I've been thinking about it recently since that giant 400 millimeter square die. Like, you know, chiplets make some sense in the short term, but in the long term, wouldn't you agree that there could be some major logistical problems of like, so what, we're just gonna keep producing seven nanometer Zen 2 chiplets for six years? And I mean, and, and if they're getting ninety percent yields at TSMC, I know four hundred millimeters squared is big right now, but that's just one die you need to die shrink every few years for cost reductions, as opposed to deciding, well, are we going to die shrink the IO die, the chiplets? Well, if we're die shrinking these Zen two chiplets to use, you know, with the console, we're not using those on mainstream desktop anymore. They're already on Zen 4, so we're not getting that cost benefit of sharing it between console and PC anymore. So I think on further reflection, a big monolithic die, kind of for both Sony and Microsoft, is probably more of a logical conclusion than you some might expect. I know a lot of people were surprised Renoir was a monolithic die too.
1: Yeah, there are several, several things that, that you mentioned. So before we go into the chiplets, I didn't see the image of the back of the console, but you, but like you can get away with a power supply that's like 350 watts. That's absolutely tiny inside of the machine, and then have a, a power break, one of those laptop power bricks, and mm-hmm. that's enough enough to power uh, a pretty beefy system. I mean, mm-hmm. if you. I know you know the, um, I can't remember his name, the guy from the S4 Mini uh, case.
0: Oh, yeah, NFC, not from and Concentrate.
1: Yeah, he he's, he.
0: he's I've seen
1: some videos of his and using like really high-end components with a 300-watt Pico PSU, you know, with a power brick. So I, I wouldn't take that as an indication of any, anything to do with efficiency.
0: Well, you should see what some people are saying, though, about, a big Navi, it's like, it's going to use 400 Watts. I think we can safely say it's not going to use 400 Watts. You probably didn't need to see the back of the console to know AMD just straight up wouldn't launch something that terrible. But at least I hope they wouldn't.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then going back to chiplets, the reason why you can't do a chiplets based console has to do with energy, which was the conversation we were having earlier. Mm -hmm. When you when you have data going from a chiplet to the I/O die, you're using a ton of energy. So that's why they didn't use it on Renoir. You can't have a 15, or it's going to right. be really hard to have a 15 watt uh, SOC with such high frequencies with data with data going from uh, a chiplet to an I/O die. You're talking about hundreds of picojoules of energy that are being used instead of you know, four or five picojoules in a monolithic die, or maybe a, a bit more, maybe like 60 picojoules going into, so on the consoles, because obviously efficiency is important, mm-hmm. it, I I would be hesitant in, in seeing chiplets in there. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. You never know, but it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me because of that reason. Yeah, there's also logistics, you know, because AMD is making a chiplet in Israel or whatever it is, and then one in New York, and then it gets packaged in Taiwan and all that, that Microsoft probably doesn't want to mess around with that stuff.
0: And again, especially long term, right? Like, it's all good now when you're making Zen 2 chiplets for all types of different devices. But what <laughs> once they move on from that, the console is still going to be around. And having to decide what to die shrink and all that. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think more and more as time went on, it became obvious that, no, they're just going to go with a, a monolithic die again. But moving on, I guess just to tie up the next-gen console conversation... I mean, I just think when it comes to strategy, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but like with Sony, I really think they just need to nail backwards compatibility and offering a new experience. I mean, that's what they always try to sell you on, right? The reason you upgrade this PlayStation isn't because, or any console I would hope, is because this brings you a next-gen experience. And if they can nail, you know, we're the console that does wireless VR, we're the console that does instant load times, we're the console that gives you Ray Trace 4K60 for a reasonable price and plays all of your old PlayStation games, I think they'll do fine. And I just think Microsoft, it's time for them to finally let it boot a Steam OS like version of Windows that would be called like Xbox OS. And then you can also just boot into Windows. Like it makes absolutely no sense to me Like, you shouldn't be worrying about how are we going to beat Sony with a console? What you should be saying is, how do we make a device people want to buy? Who cares what it's called, a console or not? And when Sony... Sony makes PlayStation, so they're going to make a good PlayStation, hopefully. But if you're Microsoft, I think, you know, you might want to use something with Windows. You are Microsoft. And, you know, what they should be thinking of is the ultimate gaming Windows machine not the ultimate console. And I, there, there continues to be leaks that suggest they might let it boot into some, at least some version of a full Windows, which really excites me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Like, for a console to succeed, it has to tick a few boxes. So it needs backwards compatibility. This is mm-hmm. super important. It needs to have uh, exclusive games, and that's, that's one of the reasons why Sony wins. Mm-hmm. And they have really good exclusives, and it needs to have excellent marketing. And Sony got that from day one with the name. PlayStation is an absolutely brilliant name. It's probably mm-hmm. the best name of a product ever. And that really, really helps. Xbox is probably the worst name of a product ever, and they can't get the name right. And they keep getting, making.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. Xbox One. I mean,
1: (laughs) Xbox Series X. I mean, so um, backwards compatibility, exclusives, good marketing, and a unique selling point. Something that people are like, uh, you know, I'm going to get this and I get this bonus in the case of PlayStation. They got that right from the PS2 days, which was they included a DVD player. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to have uh, probably a really good Blu-ray player since it's it's coming from Sony. So mm-hmm. Sony has ticks all the boxes that you'd expect. It's a cool product. When you think of a PlayStation, it's cool. It's mm-hmm. a cool thing. When people who don't know a thing about gaming see someone gaming on a PC, on a on a Game Boy or anything, they say, oh, you're, you're on your PlayStation. You know,
0: that's, that's <laughs> In <how> Europe, good... <laughs> they do that more, to be fair, though.
1: <laughs> that's, that's how good that branding is. Microsoft really needs to, to come up with a unique selling uh, point to sell their consoles because they don't have, they might have the backwards compatibility, but who cares? The Xbox One didn't really sell that well. They don't have good marketing, they have terrible marketing, they have a terrible brand behind them, which is Microsoft, which makes people think of, oh, this is just another PC, or this is complicated. You know, when you want a console, you want something that's simple. When you think of Microsoft, you think of a bad user experience. Mm -hmm. So everything is going against Microsoft, and I think they really need to focus on you know exactly what you were saying let's just make this a good product that people want to buy and let's just forget about nintendo and sony
0: well yeah i think that's i've thought about it more and more too like i'm trying to make more and more analogies about this like when you look at what sony did when they walked away with the console market against nintendo it wasn't because they were like our cartridges will hold twice as much, as many megabytes. You know, they didn't say, ooh, now we have two analog sticks. They didn't even have an analog stick on the launch of the PlayStation. They said, we're going to make this a cool device. Well, what, you know, games are really constrained right now, so let's give it a CD player. You know, we don't really need more than two controllers, in our opinion, and let's start making games that aren't just for kids. And hey, look, at it, as a CD player, this really will appeal to adults as well and techies. Like, they didn't try to just make a better Nintendo. They just made a device people want to buy. And I see a lot of people right now getting shoehorned into this weird tunnel vision of like, well, if the Xbox has 20% more teraflops, it'll win. And I'm like, no, it will not if that's all it does. Like, that'd be the last thing that will matter to anyone. The games are going to look the same if that's the only difference, too. And if they ignore custom features they might put on the PlayStation, I, I really think... And and I mean, just for the perfect example, the Xbox One X right now can't even be sold for the same price of a PS4 Pro because no one wants it, even at like 40, 50% more performance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really has to just, I just don't get it. It just has to be a good Windows device. And I personally think if this booted into a streamlined gaming version of Windows, one where, no, the Xbox discs go in and it works fine. If you buy something on the Xbox Store, you also get it on the Microsoft Windows Store to download and play on PC. And yeah, now you can play your Steam games on there, maybe even too, although they'll certainly try to make you buy them on the Microsoft Store. Um, Like that type of an argument. I think they could charge $600 if it's a high-end gaming PC that boots into Mm -hmm. an Xbox OS. Because right now, people keep complaining about PC prices and it's like, well, I mean, you know, if it's a 2080 Ti for... 600 bucks i think it would sell like hotcakes
1: Mm, that that's difficult to position as a product though it would be difficult to communicate that is it a pc is is it a console it could confuse people i'm not sure what the strategy is there but the one thing that that is constant in the console market is you really need to pay attention to the hardcore gamer. I think this is one of the reasons, for instance, why the Dreamcast failed. Mm. The Dreamcast was hyper-focused on completely new experiences. So you had Seaman, you had um, that Raz game, you had really quirky games that were really Mm -hmm. cool, but they forgot about the core hardcore audience the gamers you know Mm -hmm. and this is something that sony has sony um is really good at they keep that hardcore gamer um loyal to their system so i think i'm not sure what would happen if um if xbox dilutes that console image and, and creates i don't know maybe it could work maybe that plan that you're suggesting could work I'm not really. It's not really an area that I pay too much attention to. One thing mm-hmm. that I will say is that I completely agree with what you're saying when it comes to performance. The only people who care about how many teraflops the the Xbox has versus the PlayStation are the fanboys because they yeah. can get into a dick measuring contest, <laughs> with saying which one is better. But the the 120 million people who buy a PlayStation, they don't even know how many teraflops that thing has. Mm-hmm.
0: No, they, I, I listened to a podcast called Sacred Symbols and they're really knowledgeable when it comes to like the behind the scenes development of a game, and like how these companies are run. But then they start talking about specs and I just start laughing because they have no clue what they're talking about. And you'd think they could know even just a little bit of it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, and I guess the last thing I would want to say, well, I guess two things. Number one would be when it comes to teraflops, I think people, and this is true, people always like this, uh, I'll compare teraflops between the same architecture just to quickly do a scratch comparison of like performance. And you'll instantly get these armchair experts that jump in and go, teraflops don't equal performance. And it's like, I know, but these are literally the same die once cut down. I think it's a little fair for us to compare it here. Um, but those same people now are becoming upset with the Xbox having more teraflops possibly I don't know I used to hear it was the other way around but now it sounds like it might not be Um, and I think we I think these consoles may be more custom from each other than before similar to what happened with the PS360 generation where there was really a debate to be had about their capabilities they just straight up weren't the same thing and just because they're both coming from AMD I don't think that I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as with the Xbox 1 and PS4 where one just was like weaker. I mean, that was a pretty easy comparison with that generation. Speaking of teraflops though, let's move on to a little bit of talk I think. I do have as usual, I don't know about you, but I am being spammed by people asking about Big Navi. Um and Carbon Cry writes in, and he says, you can speculate on the possibility of an HBM-GDR GPU, which actually back in October or, I don't know, maybe it was September, I was sent some information that the largest die might use, have both an HBM and a GDR controller. Um, He says, we think about Big Navi, uh, with RDNA, we'll have both HBM and GDR memory controllers. Why not use both on one of the dies? I've, I've thought about that, too. I think there's a reason you wouldn't, but, like, first let's back up do you think have you seen anything about these rumors or do you have anything you can comment on regarding big one of the biggest navis having both an hbm and a gdr6 controller
1: um so i have to be a bit careful (laughs) with what i say because i'm i'm under nda for a few upcoming products but so i'm going to have to be a bit vague with what i'm gonna say but you you can imply um So, um, how can I put this? You already know of Navi-based products that have both controllers in them.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example, though, a specific one? No,
1: no. But
0: I can tell you that
1: there are already Navi-based products that have both controllers on them. And I'm Mm -hmm. surprised that people haven't figured this out because there are die shots and things like that. Oh, okay. But that's already the case. And this is this is something that I don't think it's public, at least as far as I know. So this is not beyond the realm of of something that could be done in the future. Mm-hmm. And what was your other question?
0: Well, so I I mean, when I was sent information that the biggest die is just gonna have both a GDR six and an HBM controller, I was like, Well, you know that could make a lot of sense, especially, I, I and I don't know if this is still true. I mean, I I really haven't paid any attention to Big Navi the past few months. But, um, I'm kind of Big navied out, frankly. But, like, if you had a 256-bit controller, and there are a lot of, in my, like, leak I had, I, that's what I said, is it would have a 256-bit controller for GDR6, and then some, you know, and then a controller for several stacks of HBM or 2 to 4 or something, right? And if you did that, People would go, well, GDR6, 256-bit, that's what the 5700 XT uses. That's not good enough. And it's like, well, not really. And right now, they use 14 gigabit per second chips. They could go up to 18 by the time this comes out, or even just 16. And if you had, let's say, 56 compute unit Navi, if you disabled, you know, let's say you go all the way down, 8 compute units. So the worst yields get 48 compute units. Well, that's only 20% more compute units than the 5700 XT. If you use 18 gigabit per second GDR6, that's substantially cheaper than using HBM. And that would be enough bandwidth to, you know, make up for the extra compute units. And, it, and because you've disabled that much of the die, you could easily could probably get away with it being a 300 watt card or something. And then with the bigger 56 compute unit, you just don't use GDR6, you use HBM. And then you save a lot more energy as well with that top model. So I thought it made a ton of sense. And I thought it was interesting how quickly people dismissed that idea.
1: All of that you that you just said, it's possible. I can't tell you that it's something that's gonna happen or not. But the way Navi 10 was made, for instance, is to be is to have the building blocks mm-hmm. to do a consumer product and a, a server product. Okay, so it's not so you're going to see an Okay so let's just leave it at that. <laughs> you can use the 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 chip has, the architecture and the chips the hardware itself has been made so that it's so that it, it, you can connect different things to it so that it's it's very flexible to what you can do with it.
0: Right so then uh I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to add onto that. Do you think it would make any sense to have one then because this is what Carbon Cry asked. That where they left them enabled for both, so they just make one mega version that has access to who knows, right? Let's say sixty-four gigabytes of gdr 6 and then sixteen gigabytes of HBM.
1: That could that could make sense for a server product, for right. instance, where you need both the bandwidth and but you also need the capacity and the speed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Nils writes in, and he says, if you have a big Navi card with RT accelerators, would it make sense to use one of the interposers? And I don't know if this question makes too much sense, but he says, and instead of putting a stack of HBM on one of them, actually just connect it to an RT accelerator, ray tracing accelerator.
1: Oh, yeah, I I see what what he means. So something like the Fury, which on the interposer, you have the Logic, and then you have the the HBM dies on a 2.5D. Uh, package i think that's what he means unless he means it's an active interposer where the interposer itself would have logic but i don't think that's what he means i think he probably means like putting different chips on the same interposer but one of the chips is actually just for rt Mm -hmm. i think that's what he means yeah i mean yeah that makes sense that could work the problem that we go back to that problem that we were talking about the 5500 XT when it has to go off of the die and into system memory, and you, you can get a performance uh, degradation. So basically, you'd get a performance penalty if you had, if you had a, a separate logic die, even if it's in the same package, you still have to communicate between the two. So, compared to RT on NVIDIA, which is inside the same die, it would be slower. So you'd have a performance penalty unless you made like a massive die just for IT, but that would be too expensive. Yeah. The, the advantage there of doing what he's suggesting would be that you'd get flexibility. So from a financial standpoint, it makes, it, it, it makes some sense because you could sell a, a card with that with the same logic. You could use the same logic chip. To make mm-hmm. different types of cards, ones that have a, an additional RT chip and one that doesn't. So right. From fa- you get that flexibility. The problem with that is that David Wang, which is who's the RTG um, vice president or something, the guy who's in charge of the graphics division at AMD last year, he said that for AMD is only going to bring uh Ray tracing to their GPUs when they can support the full stack from the the smaller GPUs to the larger ones. So I don't see what the benefit would be for having a Mm. separate die.
0: Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying because they, I mean, it it only makes sense to put it on the full lineup so they can get support. Because I mean, I think that would be the worry, right? If you, split it up, is if you have only your top-end chip with ray, good ray tracing, then it's like, well, why would developers support it? You know, it's like a tiny part of the market.
1: Maybe, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can't think of other reasons. Maybe there's something else there that I'm not thinking, but that's this is what I think there would be a, a huge performance penalty if doing mm-hmm. it like
0: that. Okay, so let me move on. To another question, then here. This is one I had earlier in the script, and it's kind of um, just in general. What were what was the development? Just to, and it could be a hardware release. It could be some change in the market that happened in 2019 that you're most excited. It happened, and then for 2020, like what are you hoping happens the most when it comes to the PC hardware market?
1: So my number one, I guess, product from last year would be the Ryzen 3600. Mm-hmm. That that was just an amazingly good product. I mean, you're getting 6 cores, 12 threads, 4.2 uh, gigahertz at 65 watts for $200. That's insane. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like, it reminds me a bit of the, um, the Skylake 6600K when that came out. Which was the the processor that I was recommending everyone? It was like that mid-range, really good value uh, CPU. Mm-hmm. So from last year, that that's definitely one of the highlights. I also really like the 5700 XT, which in my review I said that's basically you know a way for people to finally get into 4K. Yeah, you're not going to get ultra settings, but you can lower the settings a bit. I mean, this is not consoles. The, It's a PC, you can adjust the game to fit your needs. So you can use a 5700 XT and get a really good 4K experience for the first time. Mm -hmm. Outside of those more obvious things, I think one product that came out last year and that I've talked about a couple of times in a few videos here and there, it was never a focus of a video, but I have mentioned it, is a processor called the A64FX. I'm not sure if you were familiar with that.
0: Not really. It came out last year? Yeah. No, I don't know.
1: So this is a processor from that was made in conjunction with Fujitsu and the Japanese government. And and in a company called Raikun. So this is... It's really interesting. This is going to go into the Japanese hexascale supercomputer that they're going to use. I think I think they're they've deploying this month, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was December, mm-hmm. that they're going to use for stuff for scientific workloads. And obviously they have massive problem with earthquakes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. What's interesting about this thing is, uh, I'll have to send you a, a, di- um, a block diagram of this chip, because it's... So it's a NARM-based CPU that has a, a crap ton of cores. I, I think mm-hmm. it's like 48 cores, although there are some redundant cores there. Um, it has HBM next to the cores, and it, it behaves both as a CPU and a GPU, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't use RAM. Ah, so this is put on a tiny URAC. So you know those server URACs. It has mm-hmm. two of them, so a dual socket with two A64FX chips, water cooled with no RAM, so they share the, the memory between it. And it's faster than Volta at mm-hmm. GPU at GPU workloads. And it's faster than the the fastest Z, Xeon at, at CPU workloads. And it's super Uh, efficient
0: yeah yeah one thing that I've enjoyed seeing when I was at hot chips is I was really impressed by the cerebris chip Uh, did you see that the wafer scale one yeah the absolutely hilariously huge one
1: yeah that's really interesting as well yeah
0: And and it puts so much cash on there that like you said it just has its own memory and it's way quicker to access it, of course, actually on the wafer than anywhere else. And I, I got to say, um, and that's one thing, too, where it really seems like things are getting much more interesting than they, I ever remember them being 10 years ago. It was very, very binary 10 years ago with just a few companies and their releases. And it feels like at least in 2019, we started to actually see some cool stuff, and, including in names that I hadn't heard of before. Right, yeah. I mean, some
1: of these things take decades to to become viable, and um, we had that period in the in the late nineties up to the late two thousands mm-hmm. where you know it was just a low hanging fruit. It didn't make financial sense to invest in some of the things that we're seeing now because you you know you had frequency scaling and and yeah. Moore's law and all that. So now they're having to actually you know be a bit more creative. And also the, um, the C9, that was something that I found through your channel, the mm-hmm. C9 O OLED panel. That was also a really incredible product from last year.
0: Yeah, and I'm seeing some interesting TVs, to be fair, come out from other people as well. They're not really TVs. I'm not interested in an 8K TV right now, but I do find it quite interesting that if I go to a Best Buy, I can get one. Uh, it, it feels like things are, again, I think things are just getting... Quite a lot more interesting. Yeah, I guess I, I want to add on to your R5 3600 thing as well with um, and just the fact that I continue to think that the fact that AMD is continuing to produce R5 1600s, but now they're just, you know, basically R5 2600s. They're making, you know, 12 nanometer uh Zen Plus six core chips for $80, like $80. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's completely changed like what it even means to be a budget build. I mean, you get an $80 12 thread CPU and that thing's going to feel and run with a M.2 SSD, just incredible. Like, like, It'll feel pretty much as good as a high-end build. And it's kind of changing, I, I guess. So I want to touch on that too, just like, and then you also have like one $30 2700 Xs. Like there's AMD strategy of continuing to sell Zen Plus on 12 nanometer. Uh, I, I mean, I think at least at the very least, it makes Intel's entire Celeron through i5 lineup a joke now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the problem with <laughs> with Moore's law slowing down. The products from like three years ago are mm-hmm. just as good as the ones now. They're like, you know, 10, 20% slower, but are you really going to tell the difference between a 1600x and a 3600x? Maybe a little bit, but nothing major. Major, yeah. Especially if you go up to higher resolutions where the GPU is the bottleneck, mm-hmm. at least for
0: gaming. Yeah, and what's incredible about these chips too is you can upgrade it to a 3950X in a year or some Zen 3 chip if you want to. I made an argument in my Intel video, I had come out Sunday, that like what AMD is doing right now with their strategy of producing the previous gen for dirt cheap, to take the budget market it would be like if when intel was dominating Piledriver with skylake i7s they just kept making sandy bridge i7s for like $100 like that strategy uh i mean it's a different scenario cuz you know amd has you know different things point at them to do it but like that's how big of a deal i think this is is if intel would have done that back then and then just made all of amd's budget cpus basically a joke because well the previous gen intel i7s were almost as good as the new one frankly
1: yeah, but I mean, this was one of one of AMD's aces. That that was a, a really good marketing play. Was saying upfront that the platform would be supported for three or four years. Mm-hmm. That you know, everyone that bought a sixty-six hundred K or sixty-seven hundred K, which I think you yep. had, was like, oh yeah, that's kind of nice. I wish I could upgrade my CPU, but I can't. I need a new motherboard. With Ryzen, you're like, yeah. Well, I can go from a 1600 to a 3950X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's an excellent marketing move from from AMD there.
0: Yeah, I, uh, that's what I said too. It, oh, and also keep in mind, it would be if you could upgrade from the Sandy Bridge, you know, <laughs> i3 or i7 to a Skylake i7. And I, you know that that's what it's so true. Like, I had a 6700K, and eventually I went to Zen. But I said, if I could have put in an 8700K, a 9700K into my same motherboard, I wouldn't have upgraded to Zen, I don't think. Because it would have been far cheaper to just pop open the socket and put a new chip in. But Intel just doesn't let you do that. And they don't let you do that (laughs) even when it doesn't make any sense. Like you needed a new chipset, didn't you, for the 9900K over the 8700K, I think? And then that one also wasn't compatible with the 7700K.
1: Well, the good thing is Intel has learned from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. He- hint, they haven't.
0: <laughs> well, not yet. Um, and I know that. <laughs> yeah, and then they're going to use LGA twelve hundred for what is it? Comet Lake ten core. Yeah, that's and- exactly what
1: I'm what I'm referring to.
0: And and just to be clear, by the way, Alder Lake is said to use LGA seventeen hundred. So have there's it's yeah it I, I I think hopefully with Alder Lake going to LGA seventeen hundred they're actually planning ahead for once. But I honestly wouldn't bet on it. They they uh, they have made the decision that they make a lot of money reselling motherboard chipsets. I guess that's just the way they want to do business for now until they're completely forced to not do that.
1: Yeah, and you were saying what I'm looking forward
0: to in the future.
1: Yeah. Just 2020 or beyond that?
0: Well, I guess let's do both. So I would say, what do you hope comes out this year? Like, if you had to pick one product to really nail it and exceed expectations, you know, which one would it be? And, you know, why that one?
1: Well, that's a tough one. I would say if the... um, the navi-based apus come out the, towards the end of this year then that's the one that, that i'm the most excited for mm-hmm. if not i guess it's it's a toss between the intel gpu just because i'm curious mm-hmm. <laughs> about about what's going to come out of that and also to see if Nvidia is going is going to have another Pascal moment, now that they're feeling a bit of pressure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've been thinking there is quite an impetus on NVIDIA to not F around anymore with their next generation. Like, Mm. I get everyone knows, I mean, they basically taken the market with Turing, they had a chance to really start milking, and some of it, it at least partially backfired on them. A lot. And I think when they look and they see, well, the consoles are coming, they might use some form of ray tracing that the next gen RDNA will use and RDNA 2.0. You know, I think Nvidia's under overestimated AMD a few times to the point where they're starting to really underestimate them. I really think with the minds, you know, they gotta hit a home run, I think, with AMP here, or they're leaving themselves incredibly exposed. I mean. I've said that for several generations where AMD didn't do as well as I thought they would. But, you know, AMD's been on top before, and I don't think NVIDIA can just continue to underestimate them like uh, like they have recently. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I'd say I I would hope that Big Navi actually nails it. I mean, I don't know. Something like that would be nice. And I've actually also said I would... I hope Intel continues to at least be good enough on desktop that they stop AMD from completely going you know, stupid with the prices.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I've been hearing some things from AMD that are not very promising for for Intel. So Intel <laughs> really has their work cut out for them.
0: Yeah, and th- well, so someone writes in, Dermish says, in your last video, you said Zen 3 is coming in 2021. He's talking to me. Uh, quarter one, 2021. Are you referring to the whole line or can we still expect lower end SKUs late 2020? And yet, I mean, I've, I mean, I think, yeah, Zen 3 is coming out this year. They're saying it. But I still think it's going gonna, it's gonna to launch, like, what, it, it launched July, I think, last year for Zen 2. So I kind mm-hmm. of see it being more like an August-September launch for Zen 3. And if that happens, I don't think we can expect the full lineup until quarter one, 2021. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all.
1: Um yeah I'm not I'm not sure what they're doing. I thought I knew what they were doing. I thought this this year I think we we talked about this we did, last yeah. time. I thought I thought they were going to focus on laptops and that Zen uh, mm-hmm. 3 would just be, you know, a refinement of Zen 2. Now I'm th- their communication is that they're pushing the continue to push the envelope and they're going to have another massive increase in performance. Mm -hmm. But from, from the roadmaps that I've had access to what I'm seeing is way, way less impressive than what they actually had planned. Mm -hmm. So I think they just pushed back some of the stuff that they had to 2022 and all the way back to 2024 Mm-hmm. And are going to to do a more incremental release every generation, but I'm not sure because their communication really doesn't reflect that. They're very they seem very bullish on Zen three.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, and I've been bullish on it the whole time. I mean, I the the line I keep saying is it's called Zen three. If it was Zen two plus, they would call it Zen two plus. Now, does that mean it's going to be as revolutionary as Zen two, or I mean, frankly, Zen one? I don't know how you define revolutionary. I don't think it's going to blow people away as much as that. But then again, I don't know. I always am surprised at how unblown away people were with like Zen 1, for instance. I mean, some people seem to get it right away, but there were a lot of people that were just like, well, you know, it's 10% worse at gaming than a 7,700K, so who cares? Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the full rollout won't really be till early next year. It would, I mean... It, do, it doesn't make that much, as much as I think they're going to get out a new impressive gen technically this year. Let's keep in mind, this year is almost, it's, I mean, we've barely started this year. I I think they have many months that they want to just focus on telling people, no, just buy Zen too. Yeah. Do you think, um, so Andrew DeVille writes in, he says, do you think Andy will make a gamer CPU like a Ryzen 3850X or 3750X with two chiplets so they have more L3 but more disabled cores? I guess let me ask you that: Do you see either that happening, or any other kind of like speed refresh, anything else they'll probably add? Like, I mean, I know there'll probably be like a 3900 non-X, right? But like, how do you do you see any other like real rollout along their product stack here?
1: Okay, so there are, there are several things here. So regarding DL2 and L3, I don't think that's going to make any difference for a gaming CPU, rather than that. You can just keep more things in mm-hmm. the in the CPU, so you reduce latency. So that helps a little bit, but gaming is really more tied to frequency. So as far as um, as uh, as more CPUs coming out, I think it's possible because I was reading a, uh, an interview on Anantech that Ian interviewed Lisa Sue, and she said something that that I thought was curious. She referred to TSMC's uh, when she was talking about availability, she talked about TSMC's seven nanometers, seven nanometer plus, mm-hmm. and seven NP. So seven NP is that process that they have. That's kind of like seven nanometer version two. Mm-hmm. But it has like seven a seven percent increase or something like that. So this is not the same as seven nanometer plus. Mm. This is a different thing. So I think it's possible that because I don't I don't know of any products. Current products that use that process, I think that's maybe AMD will refresh the current uh, lineup with this seven NP and get an extra seven percent performance there, and also use that budget to reduce power on a few other uh, products. So maybe they'll have some sort of product just for OEMs, a low lower which uses less less power. So I could see something like that. As far as uh, he was saying is 3750X. Mm. I think that's actually been, wasn't that on the... on the? There elite? was some
0: rumor, yeah, leak thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. I don't know what would make that specifically good for gaming. Maybe mm. if, if they can get higher frequencies. I mean, I think it's possible. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, let me bring this up too, since we're talking about processes so much right now. Carbon Cry wrote in with a question, but I'm just going to kind of summarize it here. And it's like, what do you, how do you see Global Foundries positioning right now? Because I've talked about in a lot of my earlier videos, like early last year, how I thought it was interesting that they were focusing on, you know, 12 nanometer FDX. I thought their strategy was pretty cool. And yet I don't see AMD really using it yet in any of their products. And in in fact, AMD is still insisting on using 7 nanometer basically for everything. Like, so I mean uh, they have a lot of interesting IP and you know like SOI instead of FinFed is an interesting choice but like where do you see global foundry's place moving forward do you think it was a mistake too let me just ask that to not go to 7 nanometer
1: well it was a, a business decision and probably one that they didn't have any choice of making because it's incredibly expensive to to get, to be on the bleeding edge in this industry but what you have to understand is that There is an insane amount of uh, demand for older processes. Yeah. I'm I'm sure global foundries can continue to have decades of success just being a few nodes behind. Even TSMC still makes money on really older nodes. Mm -hmm. So I don't see a problem there. The one thing that global foundries can do is invest a bit in research and development and file a few patents and then license the patents.
0: Yeah. I mean, aren't you a little surprised though that so far AMD's Navi rollout has been only 7 nanometer, basically? Like, I thought for sure they'd do some low end chip on 12 nanometer FDX or even just, you know, the regular old 12 nanometer with GDR6.
1: It was probably because they got a bit burnt with uh, the products that they made made at Global Foundries and never really Mm. uh, met expectations. I think that's the issue there. They're like, okay, let's just go to TSMC and get things done properly. We'll pay a bit more, but we will get good products out. Mm -hmm. I think that might just be it um once they start getting a bit more money um i mean amd is not married to tsmc no. so i think they can use or samsung. anyone,
0: right yeah yeah
1: they can use samsung for a few things they can use global foundries for another and i think the future is that in fact amd is in a really good position this is one of the reasons why it's such an exciting company they're not even married to x86
0: they exam. have said
1: recently that they're not interested in in uh, risk five, for instance. For instance, but that could change, you know. If mm-hmm. the market changes, they have that flexibility to just go and do something else. This is something that Intel doesn't have, for instance. Yeah, so there are positives and negatives there.
0: So I guess I, I'm a little concerned about Global Foundries long term, though, for this reason: just the fact that. TSMC is being smart in that they're like, well, here we are. We're ahead of everyone else. And we're probably about to be way ahead of everyone else. So let's just take all the money we have in double capacity. And I think that's something that could blindside, like that could blindside some of their competitors a little bit. Cause like you said, right, there's all this demand for previous nodes. And of course there is. Um, we see the Jingjia GPU manufacturer and they plan to make a 1080 level performance card on 28 nanometer. I mean, I'm sure 28 nanometers yields now are pretty much perfect. So it makes sense for some of these devices. But if they can just double and then triple capacity of 7 nanometer in the long term or at least medium term, doesn't that allow TSMC to just take even more business away from them by doing that? I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I th- uh, from a uh... From what Jim Keller said in one of his talks, I think it costs like 40 million to create a device on 28 nanometers now from start to finish. Mm -hmm. That's insanely cheap.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just get concerned. Uh, The the reason I get concerned is it's just like, well, if they just make enough capacity to be twice as big as Global Foundry, can't they just eventually offer lower prices for some of their seven nanometer products that kind of make... Because if you're... If you're someone like AMD and you're gonna make a device and it's like, hmm, Global Foundry's 12 nanometer, you know, they got really good yields, they got plenty of capacity, and you know, they're offering, you know, a substantially lower price. But if I have to pay twice as much for something that will be twice as good, wouldn't you pay that though? I mean, again, you know, I know it's I'm just thinking kind of long term, like how long will that last to just use older nodes? Yeah,
1: I don't know if it's sustainable. It, it hasn't been for all of the other foundries. Exactly where,
0: right. It didn't pan out for them.
1: Yeah, there were like thirty to forty foundries fifteen years ago, with, or like twenty something years ago. Now there are three or four that are that are on the latest nodes. So it's a tough business. I mean, Samsung is investing one hundred yeah. and. 15 billion or something like that until the end of this decade that's more than the gdp of some countries
0: yeah yeah and i mean and it's worth and i think they're seeing it's worth the money to to do that because if they fall if they're a node behind tsmc which they're not even really a full node behind yet i well i mean actually they kind of are um pretty soon uh that there will be plenty of people that just go to them for their seven nanometer but If they've all two nodes behind and then TSMC is just quadrupling capacity with all this extra money they're making, I just, yeah, I just worry that TSMC will be like, well, it's fine. We have so much capacity now and our nodes better. But I mean, I guess we'll have to see. I guess I do think that I I do wonder how long that can last, but it's all pretty much speculation right now. and. I did, I did at least at first think their 12-nanometer FDX was interesting for the fact that it seemed just as efficient as 7-nanometer or close while being substantially cheaper right, and more reliable, at least at first. But I don't know, 7-nanometer is getting good yields. Um, mm. But I guess, can I ask you this? So Andrew Martin asked, besides the CCX redesign, are there any other features you're expecting from Zen 3, like big features? Uh,
1: besides from that CCX redesign?
0: Yeah, it should have latency and IPC improvements, of course.
1: Yeah, I it's not something that I've thought about much. I mean, from an architecture point of view, I would expect to see some sort of new scheduler in there to improve um, parallel workloads. I know that they've worked on... I've seen a few patents that suggest that. I'm not sure if... the the problem we it comes down to, to the same thing. Is this really going to be Zen three? Mm-hmm. You know what well, what is this next? The name doesn't doesn't really seem to, to 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 correlate to the actual architecture that they announced a couple of years ago in their roadmaps. I'm well. They've certainly sure. changed
0: it a lot from their initial roadmap. That's true.
1: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if this Zen three is really the Zen three that was supposed to be coming out. So. Um it's difficult to say but I but I would expect to see some you know like new schedulers and some improvements to runtime and things like that but nothing particularly revolutionary I don't think at least not from this generation I think come 2022 you you are going to see some really insane things
0: yeah Um, I guess when it comes to scheduling, I've noticed an interesting thing, by the way, like on my side monitor, I'll just have like, uh, what is it? Uh, Like task scheduler looking at my 32 threads for fun while I'm gaming. And I've noticed how much better at the very least Zen and Windows are at scheduling than I remember any of my i7s. Like, because I mean, You know, it's eight years ago, most games used two to four cores or two to four threads, I should say. And I would just see it just randomly throwing things to each thread, (laughs) like just all over the place. And when I look at the 3950X, like if it's even at like 30% load, 40% load, sometimes it's just not using one of the cores on purpose. You can tell to save energy on heat on one of the chiplets. And then you'll see like all of the other cores, only one of the threads is being used. And at least I, I, it does seem like there are some pretty big scheduling improvements already over any of the architectures I've used before.
1: Yeah, that's that's something that uh, AMD is working closely with Microsoft to solve. Because right now, Microsoft... Mm-hmm barely hangs in there with with uh, 32 cores. And I'm curious to see what will happen with the 3990X on Windows. I've asked AMD for a review sample, but the, there will probably be, be very few of those. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's another reason why they're kind of delaying some of the stuff that yeah. they're bringing. Because the information that I had on Zen three, the core counts were absolutely absurd. I know, but but maybe now we're at the point where you know it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to bring them to desktop because they Windows is just gonna crap itself. so
0: yeah, I have a theory. I think so I know that there was an early roadmap or at least that I saw that had Zen three with four threads per core. And most of the things we've heard about now. But then they removed that, of course. And I think I got in a conversation, I think it was with Carbon Cry about this how there's a, I also got some indication that they had troubles with scheduling with Zen 3, with having so many threads. And they were like, why are we doing this? We're already redesigning the CCX. Wouldn't it be better to just focus on making sure it has as low latency? And as high IPC as possible in the short term, add all of these other efficiency improvements. Because if we add either a ton of cores or four threads per core, you're going to want to make sure they're actually utilized and bringing that so soon. I think there was a decision at some point in late 2019 to mid to late 2019 that let's just focus on what we can make work well right now. And so we can execute it and get it out on time. Because if you get you know, four threads per core out and it like causes an IPC reduction in a bunch of games, that would be a huge mistake, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, you yeah, got to nail it.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things we discussed last time, I think. Yeah.
0: So I guess I have a few things, other things I could bring up, but let me ask you, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, while you're here?
1: Man, there are so many things we could talk about. <laughs> oh, I know. Um there's one topic that I find interesting, but it's a bit far out. I'm not sure if it's going to be interesting to your audience or to you in particular, which which has to do with um, nanotechnology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that something you want to go into? Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about, like, where is this all going? I mean, we're we're getting these insane changes in in technology and semiconductors and all that. Where is this going? What's what's going to be like the next mega disruptive technology mm. like we had with the iPhone in the mid two thousands? You know, with smartphones suddenly becoming a thing. And what I suspect will happen by the end of this decade. And bear with me because this is a bit a bit insane. Mm-hmm is something is there will be some sort of advancement in nanotechnology that will allow us to have non-invasive or or bearable neural implants to the point where instead of you carrying around a smartphone basically a computer you're going to have that implanted in your brain so you're going to have parts of your brain that connect directly to the internet I know this sounds a bit crazy, but this is something that I've thought about. What's the next evolution? If you're carrying, if a smartphone mm. is already almost a part of you, it is. you know, it it's, is. it's an extension of you and it connects you to the, the whole world, why not just remove that physical device and put it inside of your brain? If that happens, I mean, the possibilities are endless. You can, you can start with small things like just connecting to the internet. Mm. And that's cool because you have access to information instantane- instantaneously then you can you can activate the parts of your brain that are responsible to 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 formulate images you know you get Uh, images from your eyeballs but when you're dreaming your your eyes are closed then you are still forming images in your brain so imagine you could be you could visualize content in your head in your mind's eye um
0: and share it with someone else's head right away too yeah
1: And consume entertainment and, you know, all through a neural implant. And then you get into a bit more, you know, the fantasy realm of topics like Deus Ex
0: or... Metal Gear Solid uh, 4. (laughs)
1: Yeah, things like that where you enhance your capabilities. Obviously, there are a lot of pitfalls to this, like (laughs) hacking and all sorts of science fiction level things. But I think the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think nanotechnology, if you look at um the pr- the progress of transistors scaling in the past sixty years, and then you look back at technology as scaling even before that, um, and you look at where it's headed, you can if you if you if you do a comparison to that to nanotechnology, we're not too far from this being a reality. I mean there's a barrier there with Putting stuff inside of your body, which Mm -hmm. people, you know, that's 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 going to be a bit of a of an obstacle to overcome. But I think that that might be the next, you know, huge disruptive thing that the whole world suddenly changes the way that they live. Where nowadays, if you have a smartphone, you're one type of person. If you don't, you're you're living in in the dark ages. You know, it's going to be that sort of divide. But anyway, that's just an aside of something a bit far out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was about to say where you were talking. I played Metal Gear Solid 4, so I know what you're talking about. But I, I thought about something, though, that just while you were talking, where I think all of these games and movies and, and Black Mirror TV show, when they do this, it's very um, one-step. I don't know how to describe it. Like It's just kind of like a one-step thinking of just like, if you did this, I could have a HUD display. If I did this, I could watch Netflix in my head. But I think there's implications, for instance, like let's say you had a a particularly sophisticated device in your head connected to the internet that could, through its own machine learning, know what you're looking for. So let's say I'm doing research for a video. And instead of me thinking, search Wikipedia this, what if I have that thought like you probably have like, oh, what was that? and instead of me telling the device to do it for me the device knew i sent that brave wave you know that brainwave across my skull and it just instantly popped it in the whole article downloaded it threw it into my short term memory and then i just kept typing cuz i knew what to mm. do next ahead of time Like, you would be dealing with people who would immediately go from having, like, IQs of 140 to equivalents of an IQ of 300 and be able to write and work on things. And and I mean, not just logically, but work on things creatively two, four times faster than we could before. Like, it would be kind of like the equivalent of talking to a caveman if they were talking to us now.
1: Yeah. Or language. Like, you just learn a new language instantly. Download Chinese.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, and and I want to be specific. When people hear me say stuff like that, I don't mean like it removes a step. I mean like there's no step. Someone starts speaking Chinese, and you don't even perceive that there were any jumps to that. Or when you're like, imagine, imagine you're brainstorming for an article, and you're like writing this, and you try to think, what was this? What if the device cuts out the what was this, and you just keep writing? Like you could theoretically get to that point. Now, now the problem would be, <laughs> among a few things, <laughs> but if so, what if someone hacked some network and they put into your head, well, I thought this about a presidential candidate and it cut out the step. So it just told you, you now hate that. You could quite literally tell people they hate people.
1: Well, what's, what's stopping it from that being the, the case right now?
0: <laughs> Every, yeah.
1: Everything that you're seeing and that you're thinking could be that could be someone else's creation.
0: Well, that's why it takes so much tremendous effort to double think about everything you're saying. I think it can even make you look stupid. And really what you're trying to do, it's, it's so hard to be objective. Like, and so I get why we have this thing where, and I, and I think there's a tendency for people to get into kind of condescension. And be like oh those dumb people fell for this but i'm smart enough and that's why i know the truth and everyone's really just probably thinking that about each other but it's it's so hard to just stop and go do i actually remember that happening did i actually say that it takes it's actually very inefficient
1: <laughs> there's a really interesting book that i would recommend people read called you are not so smart which goes through a bunch of fallacies that are very common in people, it's a, it's a really eye-opener. Um, going back to the topic, mm-hmm. without extending it too much, if people think this is science fiction, you just have to look at open brain surgery. Um, because the brain doesn't feel, doesn't have any pain receptors, you, you can touch parts of the brain and something will happen. Mm-hmm. And when people are um, performing surgery, they can, they can, for instance. They have found this. They touch a part of the brain, and someone starts laughing, not because that particular brain controls laughing, but because that particular part of the brain controls irony.
0: Oh! <laughs> and,
1: and this is this is super interesting because it means that we can control certain things in our brains. We can activate them. So, if you imagine this on a nanoscale, it's not. It's not too crazy to think that you can create, for instance, for instance, a dreamlike experience inside of your brain. You know how we dream and we see images and we see things happening. Mm-hmm. So it would be like virtual reality, except your brain is formulating those images, is projecting them inside of your mind's eye.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first heard of these concepts and I was like in college, I was like, yeah, sign me up, get that chip in there. I'm tired of Googling things. But In hindsight, I'm like starting to go, I don't know if I do want any of that. Like I'm totally fine with like a completely black boxed, not connected to the internet device where like, oh, what if I just could shoot a flashlight out of my finger? That'd be cool. I wish I always had a flashlight (laughs) in my finger or like I just could tell the time or like there was a compass built into my head, but it wasn't, well, I mean, it's technically a magnet. So there's gotta be some way to screw with my brain by hacking it, right? But like if you did something like that, like a, just a built-in compass, a built-in light, you know, a built-in maybe real simple app that is, you know, air-gapped against other things. I wouldn't mind that, but I am starting to get kind of concerned about what could, how we could just destroy ourselves if we go there. Although we're going to go somewhere because it would just be so much. Like I said, I really think it would be like if you had that ability to just like it already knew what you needed to look up and placed it in your short-term memory. So you kept typing without even thinking you forgot something. I mean, yeah, those people would be like God-level intelligence compared to us now. So people are going to push to get there whether we like it or not, I think. We'll we'll see. Maybe they'll just get themselves killed.
1: Probably. Yeah, (laughs) But you can think about it this way. The reason we have terrible, short-term memory is because we sacrificed a bit of our brain so that we could have language. Mm -hmm. So if you look at chimpanzees, they have they have photographic memory hmm. because they don't have a part of the brain that's dedicated to speech. We've, we let that part of the, of our brains go through, you know, millions of years ago so that we could have language by having neural implants. We are just adding more capability to the brain that maybe we would, we would have anyway, except we had to make, we had to we had forks mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout our development where we had to make a decision. Is language more important than short-term memory? Yeah, probably is.
0: Well, have you ever seen the movie um, Arrival?
1: Um, I have, but I can't remember anything about it.
0: <laughs> that, was, that really dealt with all of this in really interesting ways. How, And I'm sure you've heard of this, how certain languages perceive time differently. Right? Like oh, that right, right, our right, right. very Western view of like this is what time is. This is how we think about the past and the future. Many languages in Asia, they think of it completely differently. Like they might not even have a past tense. It's just things happen, and you know it happened in the past, but not really. It's just you did that, and that was good, and it benefited you now, and there, and that's what you know. There's lots of discussions about how that might make certain cultures more likely to plan for the future. But Arrival deals with this concept entirely in a, a pretty fantastical way, which is what if our obsession with making written language just written versions of what we're saying instead of its own differently perceived language, what if that's getting in the way from us perceiving the future in the past in a different way? And it, it, it really runs with that idea. It was a really interesting movie, I thought. But um, Yeah, I remember, I remember that now. But anyways, though, I guess when it comes to futurism, the one other thing I would bring up too is, so that's a, a very computer, you know, like way of looking at what's the next big leap. When I think of leaps and types of like, culture, I think of like how we kind of went into different ways of instant communication and travel. So there was the age of nothing. You walked places. Uh, Then there was the age of sailing where it's like, okay, so it makes sense to have a country a little bigger, like the size of Rome, because we can travel across the Mediterranean everywhere. That makes sense. And then you get into an age of like better across ocean, faster travel, where it's like, Well, we can get anywhere on Earth if you. So, I guess what I'm saying is in the ancient times, you could get anywhere on Earth if you gave someone 20 years of walking. (laughs) And then we get to the Roman times where it's like, you can pretty much get anywhere on Earth in five years of walking, sailing. And then we get into the age of discovery where it's like, well, you could pretty much get any square foot on Earth if you wanted to in about half a year to a year. And then we got to about a month. And now we're to the era where it's like, if you have a fast plane, I can get you any square meter, anywhere, pick it on the map. Doesn't matter how remote. If we really tried to get you there, we can get you there in a day. So we're at the day travel. And I think the next big leap outside of computers will be the instant travel era, where instead of having a day to get somewhere... Let's say it takes one to two hours. And the reason I think that would be so significant is right now you have housing prices that are really high in New York and different laws and different even just different states in the U.S. And at a certain point, you might ask yourself, well, if it takes me an hour to get from where I am, which I now have a P.O. box, so everyone knows, uh, Peoria, Illinois, there's no reason I couldn't just have this house that's way cheaper than in New York like a tenth the price and commute one hour and work in New York. And that would completely collapse the concept of, I mean, it would still cost more to live in New York because now you can walk places. It would be better than waiting an hour to get somewhere. But I feel like that's the next big leap as well because that would also allow us to actually meet each other. And I think a lot of the problems going on right now is the fact that we're not face-to-face. If you get anywhere in an hour, it's like, yeah, what are we doing? It'd take me 20 minutes to get to Portugal. It's just Let's just record it in person. It'll take us a second.
1: <laughs> yeah that would be awesome they wouldn't let you in here
0: oh they would they let me in before
1: <laughs> i'm joking um yeah we have we have that sort of thing here in europe a lot i i used to when i lived in london i had a colleague who commuted from spain
0: oh and how long did it take him to get there was it by train then and then it goes to paris and then no no but he flew it, it's like a couple of hours mm-hmm. oh so he just did that every day or he would work the weeks in no every day oh wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's some people that do that in america too it's a bit more distance though so usually you drive in america frankly but yeah so i i don't know if you've like like the implications that would be if like because we would have to completely change how we think of laws like you can't well okay I can be in Pakistan in an hour, so. <laughs> Does it really? And taxes would be thrown out the window, basically, at that point. Because, like, how are you going to decide where people are taxed if I can be in five countries in one day? Mm. But, yeah, so. Okay, so I thought that was an interesting discussion, though. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about with regard to futurism stuff? Um, well, well, we'll leave it for, for next time. I was going to say this is going on pretty long and I'm getting a little tired here. I actually, this is technically my lunch break. So yeah, I've got uh, more uh, more work to do as well. Of course, uh, any other time you want to come on, I mean, here, I'll, I'll let you plug yourself as long as you want to here too or anything else you want to plug.
1: Well, just visit my, my channel, Cortex, YouTube slash Cortex and subscribe. I'm almost at 100,000 subscribers. So if you're not subscribed, Help me get that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess that'll do it. Then uh, I'll talk to you again sometime soon. I'm sure. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Have a good dinner. Then I think. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom of Moore's Laws Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast, at www.moore'slawsdead. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moorslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me. On your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law's Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course. If you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Thomas Baraj, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al Kawari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Cal Marco, Phil S. Cy Rister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Nightroad77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fat Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott show Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Elethros, Ellos, Iden, Craig T. Wonchick, Jacob Barber, Soti, Whiny Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rahner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Sadler Sadler, chrysantine and i love you lynn and jim yeah those are my parents names and a friend named himself that as a joke thank you to everyone for the support and thank you to sahara for the music